0: This podcast is about spoilers and discussion. It's also about spooky stuff. You know, any film that we talk about here, we recommend you see in advance. You've been warned. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for
1: an exorcism. Horror. There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. Horror. You got right on you. they coming to get you, Barbara. Horror. Alive. It's alive. Groovy. Hello everyone and welcome to another brand new episode of Oh the Horror. It's a podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the newcomer Steve Allman. And I'm the expert Rob Holmes. And today, what like what what can we what can we say? We're, we're we're taking a look at one of the one of the best goddamn movies of all time. It's Beetlejuice, everybody. It's Beetlejuice. It's fucking Beetlejuice. I love Beetlejuice so much.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, Beetlejuice is great. Like, um, <clears throat> it is a movie that is so layered, uh, and it's very complex actually in the screenwriting. Uh, there's there's so many layered jokes and layered content in here that someone write this off more as a comedy than a horror film until you realize how ridiculously morbid this movie really is.
1: It's uh it, it's it's classically morbid. It's like deliciously macabre. I'd say we could kind of get uh, honestly we could dedicate this entire podcast as to like my opinions on what peak Tim Burton is and I think this actually is peak Tim Burton. Um, yeah, uh Yeah, I mean we, I would we, say
0: this is this is Oh man, it's it's peak Tim Burton <clears throat> for one main reason. He is able to pull off something that <clears throat> most people are not able to do in a film. He has a movie called Beetlejuice, where the title character is in the movie for like 17 or 18 minutes of the film. It is an hour and 33 minute
1: movie. My, Michael Keaton doesn't show up in this movie uh, like until like an hour hour in
0: like i think it's like 45 minutes it's like right at the pivot long long way yeah it takes a long time and that's what's funny is that he he's the one that ended up spawning a cartoon the maitlands are not part of that you know it's all about lydia and beetlejuice which you know their dynamic and this is completely different from that that's what's interesting about this film is just because it transcended what it should have done and became more of a kids were loving Beetlejuice, you know what I mean?
1: It was, and I I think, man, Tim Burton to me is fascinating. He's actually fascinating. Only because, like, if you asked me, like, before I had, like, again, looked at the IMDb page while we are recording this, I could have sworn this movie came out in the 90s. Because any time that I think of Tim Burton, he's quintessential to what I was growing up with uh, as a kid in the 90s. Because, like, a lot of his most popular films... Early nineteen ninety three, nineteen ninety four, ninety ninety five. Like it's he runs the early nineties. Really, I see because when I
0: when I look at him, I see more of of the the eighties, and then the early nineties from there a bit. But it, like as a director, you know what I mean. Like, right, but his his
1: his aesthetic, like, are the best parts of his aesthetic and like tone. Really ushered in a lot like he takes like very few things from eighties film like horror films and like aesthetics as we know it. And he like really pushed things forward to mm. something different and new. <clears throat> See, for this is the where early I,
0: 90s. I would say I would say mid eighties till early nineties is is probably my that's my favorite Tim Burton time. Um because then from there he went from practical effects and miniature models to what I would consider an over-reliance on CG all around. Sure,
1: um, no, and that's and like his his technical problems aside, like I don't really seem to like his movies once we get past, let's say, Big Fish, but uh, it's it's really like in like if you, if we were to really look at his timeline, like right from Pee Wee's Big Adventure all the way up to again, like I'd like to say like Mars attacks or Ed Wood like he's like I think he's incredible.
0: All right, so let me say this. I'll I'll say I'll say I'll say Pee-wee's Big Adventure, great. Beetlejuice, great. Batman, great. Edward Scissorhands, great. Batman Returns, even better than Batman. Ed Wood, love it. Mars Mars attacks, I don't think it's aged as well, but I think it's I think it's fine. Sleepy Hollow, I love Sleepy Hollow. That's nineteen ninety nine. But he didn't have as many movies coming out in the mid to late nineties. Those were his only two from ninety were ninety six and ninety nine, other than that Ed Wood was ninety four. You know what I mean? Right. And um, then we and,
1: get into the two thousands of which were like, Oh dude, we get whoa. we go
0: he goes straight into the two thousands with Mark Wahlberg's Planet of the Apes. Like Yeah. Eh.
1: Planet and then the b- then, we get, like, then we get we have... get
0: big fish and we're like all right this could be good. Then we get Charlie in the Chocolate Factory and we're we know we know at that point he is right in the studio's pocket big time cuz that movie was a movie. It exists. That's all I'm going to say about it. It exists. Uh I liked Sweeney Todd and I thought he was coming back with that Corpse Bride to me was a little too short. Um, Alice in Wonderland. I was done. I was like, nope, and we're not watching anything that you do because <laughs> yeah, that, we're not. That we're was, not here for this. That was a, that was a hot mess. Um,
1: uh, I, I, but and here's the thing. like, I, I love kind of picking apart where t- like my sort of my personal Tim Burton fall from grace because, uh, it's movies like Beetlejuice that absolutely, like, he it, it endears him to me on a level that like not that many filmmakers do where the best, like, we we think of the Tim Burton style now as kind of like a gimmick or as kind of like a thing that, like, he, he seems to be a one-trick pony for a couple of movies that he seems to do. Like, he's only kind of good at bringing forth one type of look to a film. And, like, a lot of people would, like, be remiss to think that he's... He can actually do a lot of things. This is Tim Burton as we know him, and this is Tim Burton as why he's mem- he's... Remembered like it's movies like Beetlejuice it's movies like uh, Batman and it's not movies that he did not direct like Nightmare Before Christmas which I feel the need to correct almost everybody I know he did not direct Nightmare Before Christmas he did not direct Nightmare Before Christmas it was
0: Henry Selleck guys it was Henry Selleck Henry Selleck directed Nightmare Before Christmas Spoiler alert, Henry Selick directed <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas. Which when it I says will say Tim Burton's he is... A Nightmare Before Christmas, or let's say Steven Spielberg's poltergeist, that means
1: they produced it. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Even though it does it does seem ripped exactly from his playbook. But uh here here's what here's what I will say. Uh so like Beetlejuice, I think might be my favorite Tim Burton movie because of how the confidence that this movie has from the jump uh, till the very end, I I couldn't like a movie that ha- that doesn't have its starring character or actor show up until 45 minutes in and still is magnificent. Like you you can't you, you can't beat that. Like that movie that movie's this movie's got balls. Okay, this
0: movie, let's let's go beyond even that. This movie, PG-13, has existed now since 1984, right? This movie comes out in 1988. It is rated PG. I mean, how do you get away with saying... How do you get away with kicking down the tree and saying nice fucking model in a PG film? You're showing... You're showing death everywhere. You're showing people who have slit their wrists. You're showing people who were cut in half. Someone who has a bone sticking through their neck uh, and stretching out their neck. Yes, it's done in cartoonish ways. But this movie, that when you say the confidence, you're absolutely right. This movie had the confidence to go places where I feel like this was Tim Burton saying, this is what I'm going to make and you're not going to stop me from making the film I want to. And he did oh, no, it and movie's... he confidently went in there and got a PG out of it.
1: I, it's, it's, it's amazing the amount of confidence that he has in some of these early movies because, uh, again, his aesthetic was arresting, like, it's, you did not see, you didn't see these types of movies when he was hitting on the scene with this, like, everything else was this wondrous, like, storybook macabre, type of thing with, like, elongated faces and, like, mm-hmm. incredible art direction. It's and very,
0: I mean, his stuff is very gothic, and this was the one that yeah. didn't feel gothic. Even his Batman had this gothic feel to it, in, in both of them. His Batman has that feel. That is that is what he brings to the table in a lot of his movies, and he does it very well. Now, sometimes when he decides to go the other way and go big and bold and colorful and over the top with the advent of CG, he's gone too far. He's gone too far. You gotta rein that in, guy. Go back to doing the miniatures. Like the best, the best thing, and it's not even the best, but it starts off as such a strong opening, is seeing the camera go through, and you're you're looking at the model of the town, and then you see the spider crawling there. That's, that's fantastic. You're getting to know this town, you're getting to know the place, and you're also seeing this kick-ass model showing Tim Burton's love of miniatures, which he used in a lot of his films in the beginning, and it seems like even if he is using them now, it's being overshadowed by whatever it is he's doing.
1: Right. And it gets it like so this movie never gets in its own way because the story uh, is uh, it's simple and then it just keeps growing and growing to being more and more ridiculous. It and does I not think, follow again, a
0: traditional structure either. I mean, no, it does, but it, it doesn't. doesn't. It's very it. Mm, it almost feels like it it's based on some short story or a book, you know, with the way everything kind of flows. It doesn't. Because normally in a, in a traditional screenplay or a traditional structure it there, <clears throat> you know your beats you know what's going to hit and in this movie you have no idea where it's going to go next. You find yeah, out all there, civil there servants be... are people who killed themselves and you're like alright well this is weird you see the waiting room of all these dead people who died in different ways and that's how their death is. All of a sudden you see the sandworms out of nowhere and this just Everything. Even the people who move into the house make the house strange. They end up making it weird. The house was fine before. The ghosts aren't the problem. It's these new people coming in. It's 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 so bizarre and great. And there are so many layered characters. Every character in this film stands out. Glenn yeah, Shadix and- is Otho. Glenn Shaddocks. Kills it in
1: this movie. man he's like let's so just good. okay. Here, let can I? Like, I'm literally just gonna go from the top go, to the bottom yeah, yeah, and absolutely. redesign. Yeah, absolutely. This cast be, is amazing. Like, I'm not even. I'm not even gonna get like. I'm gonna get to Michael Keaton in like six names. Alec oh, yeah. Baldwin, like late twenties. A- Alec Baldwin, like goddamn movie. Dude, he star. hate He like, does like, not doing...
0: like. He does not like his. Per- he does not like his performance in this film.
1: Oh, I love it. I I think he's amazing, he, and
0: I don't know why he hates it.
1: I think he's killing it. He's he's perfect as this like like, square that kind of comes into his own, like, in death because he's just trying to get up the courage to just, like, because he he was, like, kind of just being whatever Mm -hmm. in life, and then the second that he's dead, he seems to somehow take authority now. Like, it's great. Gina Davis, come on. Like, what can you say? Gina Davis, Davis this is this is my
0: favorite. I think this might be my favorite role of hers because there's a character shift and a character dynamic, and it really is, as you said, the same with Alec Baldwin. You watch them change and evolve over time. They're very easy and happy-go-lucky in the beginning of this film. But it's just so strange how their how their demise happens.
1: Um, it is. And it's, again, it's so tongue-in-cheek with how, uh, again, morbid it is. Like, it's so tragic what happens to them. And, and, and ridicu-
0: it's actually ridiculous, the fact that yes. she would somehow accelerate and veer from seeing this dog... How the dog got that far that quickly too, I'm also amazed by. Um, but then crash through, and then they just die. There's no swimming out or anything like that. And apparently, there was the talk of keeping them wet for the whole time in the film. You know, because you you are the way you die. Right. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was the the idea of we don't want to make our actors completely miserable uh, came into play, and that was a good call because that would have been. Ooh, uh, I could see I that mean, just being a complete nightmare.
1: Th- yeah, and like I don't think that that's like that's not really the look they would go for like they don't, they don't want to just like keep the we can bend the rules for that. I can I, that's that's not really a nitpick that I made. But like hold mm-hmm. on, like just we got to keep going. Yeah, a- yeah. And Mac and as Jane Butterfield. Oh god, she's so Okay,
0: Jane, Jane such a great character in, in herself and only peppered in throughout the film a couple of times but stands out so much in that and it's so she she has an objective and she's going with it that's the thing these characters have objectives in this film a lot of characters meander in a movie every single character in this has an objective and they go after it right away the entire time
1: all right uh like uh jeffrey jones is charles like Perfect character actor for this movie, Katherine O'Hara, oh, yeah. like goddess of comedy. Absolutely the love her. Best Glenn Shadix, also amazing. Winona yeah. Ryder, like right off of that Heather's Heat, like amazing perform. Like this uh, is Heather's probably, Heather's
0: released after this.
1: Yeah, yeah, right off of that Heather's Heat, right after the Heather's Heat.
0: No, no, no. Heather's came out after this film. Heather's came out technically in the U.S. in '89. This came out in '88.
1: Oh well, still again, Winona Ryder coming into her own as a yes. great movie star. Like she's like again, probably at her peak here. Uh, like again, no, a, this like, this
0: is definitely not, this is definitely not peak Winona Ryder. This is the beginning of greatness, Winona Ryder. Because we also have to talk about early '90s Winona Ryder. Well, we don't have to do this, but oh yeah, oh yeah, and we also have really...
1: Edward Scissorhands and Winona Ryder. Like, yeah, there's, a, really, lot of, there's really a lot of there's a lot of great that.
0: stuff. This is the beginning of of. A lot of great things for Winona Ryder. This was a great role for her to have been in. Um This movie, this movie's just we even have like Robert Goulet's in this film.
1: Yeah. Robert and, Goulet. And that's <laughs> like, I mean that's awesome.
0: By the way. yeah Uh, you know, I think everybody's seen this film. They had to have. If they didn't, well, you shouldn't be listening to this. Uh, when Robert Goulet and his wife or whoever get hit up by Beetlejuice when he's turned his hands into the mallets, uh, do they die? Because I would think they would have.
1: I would assume so. It's very, it's that weird thing where like, you don't really know what real effects Beetlejuice has on the real world or if this is like some sort of like suspended reality type of situation. Uh... But but when they do, I'm going to just assume that they die. Or See, I, I'm,
0: I'm questioning that because I know in the original idea of the script, they wanted Beetlejuice to just kill. He would just go and kill all these people. That was his idea was he would just try to murder them instead of scare them out. So I'm wondering if this point, if that's just because they edited that down, is that what he's doing? You know, did he just... Did he just kind of hit? The, did he hit them through, and did they actually get hurt by anything, or was it just the weird world that they're a part of? Because Jeffrey again, Jones, so it, he drops him onto the floor from a second-floor fall, and he <laughs> is not hurt. He is not hurt at all. I looked at that, and I'm like, he should be dead.
1: And so I, when I'm, and you, we're mentioning all of this, like sort of. Uh, cartoon violence that we're seeing. Yes. I'm guessing this is uh, this adds and adds to the like this also this PG rating could also just be a fluke of the rating system in 1988 because no dude the rating system
0: s- was brutal in the 80s that would not be a fluke there was a I, but, reasoning but he, it's, for this, it. it's this
1: it's this cartoon like type of attitude that this this film has with everything about it like all of this th- I remember seeing Beetlejuice when I was a little kid. Uh, on video, like, way way younger than I should have. And it was showing me things that were far more violent than a lot of movies that I had seen beforehand. But for some reason, like, I wasn't, I was neither scared nor, like, traumatized or, like, I didn't didn't feel like I was not impacted like I should have been uh, to the actual, like, severity of what was happening. But for some reason, this movie just carries it in a sort of gleeful way that's just so funny and charming and endearing. Um, Okay, hold on for
0: one sec. I think I I figured out what's going on because I started thinking to myself, what other movie came out in 1988 that is PG that definitely should have been PG-13? Who framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, there we go. So for some reason, the year 1988, because the MPAA would switch people out every two years. That was how they did their ratings board stuff. I think it was every two years or maybe something like that. So they would have people go in there and do the ratings board stuff. I think whatever time period it was from 88 to either 87 to 88 or 88 to 89, PG was just thrown out
1: for almost anything. Uh, you know what? And I, I kind of believe it because, again, like we, we kind of – we, we kind of have a, uh, like, sort of weight that we add to PG in the 80s that, uh, for some reason, got away with a lot. But anyway. Well, it was I, a transitory,
0: we, it was it was a transition, not transitory, it was a transitionary period. Um, it was a transitionary period between, you know, going from PG, adding in PG-13, and kind of, I guess, figuring out what the happy medium was.
1: Exactly. So, we, we have not talked about Michael Keaton yet. We will probably spend the rest of this recording talking about Michael Keaton. Uh... He's a national treasure, uh, and this movie proves it. Like, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you can you can nail uh, an actor at the height of his game as Michael Keaton in the late '80s, or early '90s, uh, because Jesus, like, he's bringing the house down. I I think that like the smartness of the script paired with Tim Burton's love for this character, uh, with Michael Keaton's just like, I think this is like like there are a few times that we get to see Michael Keaton like unhinged because I feel like he's he is like if Nicolas Cage was like a, a movie star movie star because there's like this hint of crazy underneath Michael Keaton that's like like not as unhinged as Michael Cage is but like or as Nick Cage is but it, it it's it's so perfect it's so. Just gleeful and manic enough that he embodies everything that's great about this movie and shines like a fucking beam from the sun.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's his performances in this is pretty insane. Uh, he improvised almost the entire role, or ad libbed a bunch of I, <laughs> stuff. He, you know, just going through and and figuring out his character and, and going from there. And then let's just say this: I just I just saw this. I was looking through some stuff. So this movie cost fifteen million to make. Their visual effects budget was only one million dollars. So just think Which about that for a moment. Insane.
1: Th- and and I'm that's- guessing that's not including makeup. Uh no, that's it-
0: including no uh, no 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 no. Visual effects, that includes all of it, man. Yeah. So he tried that was making things look like cheap and tacky, I guess. And uh I mean, I would think that's all the visual effects, because they're visual and their effects. So uh but that's why they have that look to them, I guess. But I think that's that's such a a unique stylistic approach that defined Tim Burton.
1: Uh yes, and a- absolutely. And and it would go on to define the aesthetic of a lot of his movies or at least a lot of his better work. Uh because we have a we have such amazing like transformations from when like he when they were trying to scare them and like he he pulls back his Alec Baldwin like pulls back his face and elongates it oh, and that's like great. pops his eyeballs out. Like it's so Genius, the way that, like, those like those stop that stop motion animation that, that yeah, that it's been known for, and they they uh, was stop-motion animation
0: was, like, and then clay sculpts and everything, and the models. And then when you see Beetlejuice going in as the snake, which is very strange because it was one year after uh Nightmare on Elm Street 3, where you had the Freddy snake. So I don't know if it was paying homage to that or anything, but it was cool, it was cool to see that. But then at the end, you see uh Catherine O'Hara coming in, <clears throat> and you can see the clay version of that. I guess that was the casting that they did for it, or the the mold, uh, or the you know the clay model for it, um, which was really awesome. And connecting all that stuff in there, I like the fact that Catherine O'Hara was you know an art. De- type person and it got very dark and macabre so it fit that beetlejuice vibe of who he was when he finally comes out and takes over the house it felt like we were already in his lair you know what i mean
1: yeah exactly and and it's this just this like opaque like granite like chairs and like this oppressive type of gray that comes up on the house like it's it's so cool and perfect i think uh the way, the way that uh also peak man peak Danny Elfman for god's sake the the way oh, yeah. that this this movie is scored is actually for the first time in a very long time perfect for what this movie is doing cuz we kind of write off Danny Elfman as again a bit of a one trick with his his scoring but like god damn it when those pegs and grooves fit they work and like fuck man like it's so perfect
0: yeah i mean i i don't Really consider Danny Elfman as much of a one-trick pony. I think that a lot of his stuff is used as that, um, but he he does a lot of really cool things, and especially in this, it works extremely extremely well.
1: Like those 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 the 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 timbre of like the horns and the drums when like we see that snake and it's in that like alternate dimension. He's like boom, boom 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 like it's it, like again the score accentuates all of this light-hearted like. It just fun that you have with it, rather than it being this like too dark and too macabre. Like the the beauty of this is that all of these terrible and like uh, uh, gothic things are punctuated so well and so jovially that it's it, it elevates your enjoyment of seeing what you're actually experiencing. It's it, it's so profound. I can't quite shake it because you have them like they're possessed and they're they're singing deo like it's it's so incredible yeah I, uh, that
0: that was uh I guess they were gonna do another song originally and then
1: I can't imagine any other song uh, yeah Jeffrey
0: like, Jones and Catherine O'Hara suggested doing that one and it works really well and then Danny Elfman did that really creepy deo uh in the beginning with the logo so that's him doing that one. Like, and you it works, don't, it works so well because you don't really know where it's going. If you've never seen the film before and it happens, it's giving you a hint right away. And this is peppered with hints throughout the entire film of where it's going to go. But people don't really see that right away. Also, the weird thing about the Maitlands is everyone else seems to read the handbook for the recently deceased except for them.
1: Right. I mean, but that's the thing, like, that's the fish out of water, like, we, mm-hmm. well, I guess we were the ones that didn't read it. Fish out of uh, water,
0: yet yet everybody who has died has done the same thing, you know what I mean? And it, it's very, yeah, exactly. I, th- I found that to be very interesting, and also that makeup effect, when you say fish out of water does make sense for them to look normal, and everybody else who has read the book and understands it to look a little weirder, even Lydia looks strange, like she would be part of the dead world, so it would make sense for her to read that because, as she said, she's what weird or what uh, strange things that are weird mm. and strange or something. Yeah. Uh, and
1: if, if, for a movie about the dead, the, the movie's just brimming with life. Literally, everything that you see is something new, refreshing. Uh, every the character design, uh, like beats in the music, like li, like this movie doesn't let up. If there's something boring you in this scene, you're not paying attention. It, straight up nothing can bore you nothing is uh taking your time away from anything else like th- this is the tightest movie that I probably can like think of in this era like it's an hour and 45 minutes you said and I don't think it's hour like, and 33 this, hour 33 this could yeah, this feels like short. 20 minutes
0: yeah it's I mean it's it, it just it, it goes by very very quickly I think the way that it's broken up, makes it feel like that because if you you could almost break this sh- this movie up into three episodes of a TV show.
1: It feels a little bit like it because we, again, like Tim Burton's influence has like a, an iconic filmmaker for sure. His influence is felt in quite of other in quite a lot of other things that have come past him. Like mainly one that I'm thinking of right off the top of my head is Pushing Daisies. Like this feels a whole lot, like a lot of Tim Burton stuff sure. that he's done but before. Let's, and let's like, go,
0: let's go, let's go. Even so, pushing was way after this, but let's go even before that, as far as influences, right? So I would say things like Dark Shadows, because he ended up doing the film version of Dark Shadows. I see that as an influence going into something like creating Beetlejuice. Um, not create, I mean, he didn't write Beetlejuice, but he did creating that world and developing it out. When you I almost feel like when you make it feel episodic as a, as a film and you break that traditional structure, that is the way you can flesh out the world and the rules of everything. If exactly, they were to do a sequel, which was supposed to be Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, thank God they didn't do that, but that was talked about and that was, I guess, I mean, the idea that was brought up.
1: Yeah, based on how well all those things play, played a part, like, I wouldn't be opposed to seeing it, Beetlejuice in Hawaii. It's like,
0: called Beetlejuice Goes Hawaii. It just sounds too, I don't know, man. <laughs>
1: listen, anytime, anytime it, it's,
0: it's, it's, oh, I just hate that title. I hate that title so much. And you know listen, what? I don't want to have a title influence me, but in this case it does.
1: Sure. But, like, I'm, all I'm saying is that Michael Keaton said, I'm feeling, and then, like thorns pop out of his uh, body while he sees a brothel. Like that's like, that's genius. I don't, I don't see how that couldn't possibly be any, be any worse than what that is. Uh, it's, I, I think uh, to, to kind of sum up a lot of this, like th- I I hope that we didn't overly gush too much, but like, there's a reason that movies like this endure, And I think that there's a a really big reason why, uh, like, all of these things that when they come perfectly together, like, you can call this movie a lot of things. I can't really call it anything other than, like, a classic. I can call it a comedy. I can call it a horror film. I never really considered it a horror film, but I could easily see it as why. But, yeah. like, I can th- see people arguing
0: just... against it being a horror film, but with as as macabre as it is and as dark as it is, uh, I mean it's it's when you think about it, it's super dark humor.
1: It very it very much is, and it, but very fair, color, I like But it's, it's the, the very it's bright and colorful,
0: that, so you know.
1: Yeah, and it's the closest thing that I think Tim Burton has kind of made to a horror film. Like this doesn't feel like fantastical this doesn't feel like it doesn't have the whimsy of like Edward Scissorhands it doesn't really have the like, well, no, Sweeney uh,
0: Todd is kind of like a horror it's a horror musical so it's based on on that so right. Sweeney Todd I would say is the closest no Sleepy Hollow man Sleepy Hollow was what to me is a horror film
1: mm-hmm. but again like there, this is something entirely <clears throat> different but still has oh yeah
0: absolutely the, that
1: bread and butter uh th- those key elements that can make it a comedy that can make it a horror film that can make it uh, an adventure in a weird way. It's well, he made a, it's, it a gr- he
0: made it a great comedy horror. He did something that Spielberg did for films where he was able to blend genres, right?
1: Exactly. yeah, so he was sure.
0: I mean yeah, where where Spielberg was able to work as a producer with a lot of different directors like Richard Donner for the Goonies and Toby Hooper for Poltergeist. I feel like. And how he did his own films, E.T. and Jaws and everything, building this world and building this style and building these type of films that are iconic, Tim Burton had that same approach. His were a little more fantastical. And I think that was a great way to go about it in the beginning. But in the same way that I feel uh, Steven Spielberg has gone and l- lost his way a little bit,
1: I feel Tim Burton's done the exact same thing. I mean, yeah. I- I'd say... I. Maybe he lost his way a little bit more, but that again, we're talking about the good Tim Burton. This is the goddamn good Tim Burton. No, this is a great, uh, this
0: is great Tim Burton. Yeah. This is just, it shows that they were perfect in that time. They worked in that time, in that element, and it was, it was great. Like You know, it. it there's only a handful of directors where the stars align that well, and not every film is going to be amazing
1: yeah and they're not and but but by God he made some magic
0: He made some amazing years. stuff he innovated and came out with with a lot of stuff that was pulling elements of, of things that he really liked and coming up with a lot of new stuff and putting that out there for people and inspiring so many different absolutely. generations his, his mark
1: is left on on my childhood like, absolutely yeah in, in, indemnably it's he is he is a part of that. And um, Keaton
0: Keaton embodied this role. Keaton took it and he ran with it. And it, he's not in it for much of the movie, really. No, he's but we not. just think about his character more. Actually, I think it overshadows a lot of other characters because it's so brass right. and it's you, so you steal, bold.
1: You, you steal a whole movie when you're only in it for like a half hour, That's and you're improvising
0: insane. most of it.
1: Yeah, uh, it it's a it's a testament. It's a, it's a, it's amazing. I can't recommend this movie. Enough, like obvious like I- if anything, like you've already seen this before, we've even announced this episode, let alone <laughs> like told you to just go and watch it, but go and watch it again, but man, I love this movie it's it's so good, yeah, uh, I'm I mean, watching it, it, this it, I'm watching this like every year for like the rest of my life. like there's yeah. no way that I don't see this movie
0: no it it holds up very well. It's one of those films. That surprisingly holds up really, really well because there's a lot that, you know, when we get to these 30-year anniversaries and, you know, we start watching them again, sometimes uh, what we thought was great wasn't. Nah, man, this this just I gets better.
1: I, I can't seem to find anything, like, wrong, problematic, or, like, a bummer about this movie at all. Like, this is this is ear-to-ear, all smiles for me. I, yeah. I can't, I can't not. It, and it, it was a success so all
0: around, you know, box office success, critical success. It did very, very well. They're talking about doing a sequel still. I mean, it's been talks for a while. Keaton says he wants to do it. Um, <laughs> but you so, get him to do it? Yeah, man. I'm sure he'll do it. I'm sure. I'm sure it's going to happen sooner than later. Uh, he's very hot right now. He's back. So it's I think a, this yeah. is this is exactly what people want. And we have a universe to go with that has rules, so it's not like they have to make anything up; they already have it in place, which is amazing. Right.
1: There's no way that this movie doesn't end with Harry Belafonte. That's that's, that's, that's yeah. it. Like, it's like it's central. no. I mean, obviously, yeah. I, w- I wish we had the music rights to Harry Belafonte, so we could go out on Harry Belafonte. But we'll go, <laughs> we'll go out on this note. Uh, what do we have in the pipeline next week, Rob? Uh, let's see. We are taking a
0: look at the family classic, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, directed by more, Toby Hooper.
1: No, nothing more, uh, like family-filled for the holidays uh, of Thanksgiving to, you know, co- cozy up your spirits when you don't want to watch football. Listen to us talk about cha- Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: If you think your family has issues, meet the Sawyer family.
1: Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's better than those uh, um, cranberry well remember, sauces. the saw is family. Uh, uh, so,
0: yes. yeah, until next time, um, <laughs> for O oh the Horror, I'm Rob Holmes. And I'm Steve Allman. And uh, you can check us out on all social media stuff or at OtheHorrorCast.com. Oh um, but yeah, you can find us on Twitter at o the horrorcast and on Facebook at OhTheHorrorCast as well.
1: Very much indeed. I'm, I'm surprised you took the reins on that. Go, go you. Go you. Yeah. <laughs> he did it, guys. He did it. I did All right, it, guys. Well we'll, <laughs> well, we'll see you next time, everybody.
0: Time to keep your appointment with the Wicca Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead...